Okay, a uh, couple things to mention. Am I get? Is that an echo going? You hearing an echo? Uh, is that okay? Okay, I was hearing an echo. I'm like, man, that doesn't sound good. All right. So next week uh, will be our harvest weekend. I'm sure you've already heard the announcements. Uh, Brother Matt Cook is going to be uh, delivering some lessons Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So he will be delivering a message in our class time next week. So uh, uh, I won't be leading you, but uh, uh, he will be here. So I'm sure that'll be a special treat to hear him speak over the weekend. And of course, I would hope you would try to attend every night and every, uh, every service if you can. Uh, but I'm sure it's going to be a wonderful weekend and of course a potluck too so I haven't had one of those in a while so that'll be fun okay uh, and that that means so after that we'll have about three more lessons to go on creation so that will extend into September which will be the new quarter and then we're going to begin a study of Colossians after that I'll get back into a textual study uh, following that and those three lessons Today we're going to deal with the days of creation a little bit. Then that, I guess the first Sunday of September, we're going to look at the case for six literal days of creation. And then the next, after that, we'll look at uh, evolutionist theory and problems with it and evolution, uh, the science of evolution and problems with that and things like that. So I think they'll be good studies. Uh, But I want to go ahead and finish this up before we start the next. Even though it'll be starting the new quarter, I want to finish this up before we start the next study. So... Uh, looking forward to that. Okay, so if you've been here the last few months, oh, and by the way, if you haven't signed the roster, be sure and do that before you leave today and uh, fill out your uh, attendance online for worship service. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know we're studying uh, the case for creation uh, and trying to understand from different sources how we can prove that God created the heavens and the earth, as is mentioned in Genesis 1. We looked at the biblical case for it, um, and of course, you don't have to read very far into Scripture to understand that God created the heavens and the earth. It's right there in Genesis 1, right? And there are many, many other verses that describe this. In fact, our Lord even said it, right? The apostles said it. The prophets said it. There are many examples, many verses that you can read that say God created it. From the beginning, it's been this way. From the beginning, when God created the universe, the heavens and the earth. So we have, biblically, a case that says God created the universe. You know, you think, well, okay, so what? I, I understand that. I believe in God. I believe God created the universe. There's no other real valid explanation, you know, other things don't make sense. Evolution obviously doesn't make any sense, right? Oh, well, but that's a prevalent theory today, right? But it, we need to be able to know these things. We need to be able to see the record. So when we do have a discussion with an evolutionist, or we do have a discussion with an atheist, or someone who believes differently about creation, we we can understand what they're saying, and we can defend our faith, right? And then we looked at the philosophical case for creation, you know, the idea that you can just see things in nature, you know, that kind of say there had to be a supreme being, right? I mean, look into the stars and the things that happen and the, the awesomeness of it, the beauty that we see in the earth, right? When we go out to climb up on top of a mountain and you look out at a sunset, that's an awesome thing, isn't it? And it inspires things in you that you just have to say, how could this exist by chance? Right? How could that just randomly happen? 
Uh, I remember my senior year in high school, I went to GAC, and we always would do a, the seniors would do a thing, and toward the end of that year, we went to the top of Stone Mountain and had a, you know, had a big senior blowout, you might call it. We didn't get to go to New York or anything like a lot of senior trips. That was our senior trip, you know. But we went to the top of Stone Mountain, and, you know, we kind of, we, we rocked up before sun, and we stayed up there during the sunset, and I remember, in my class, there weren't that many, maybe 50, 60 students, and looking out of the sunset, and it made us all start confessing our sins. It was funny how that worked out. It, you look out at the awesomeness of a sunset from that perspective, and it makes you realize how hum, hum, uh, what's the word? Humility, how, how little we really are compared to God, right? Humble, yeah, there's the word. Yeah, and so I can remember <laughs> seniors started talking about the things they'd done in their lives, and they wanted to repent of it. And then the next one would get that same feeling. Now, I didn't do that. I didn't have any sin to confess, right? But, <clears throat> but I was enjoying hearing all the others and the things that they had done, you know. Of course, then the next week, they're all out doing it again anyway, so it really didn't make that much difference. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't. There, was some, there was some heartfeltness in that. And it was because of what they could see. They knew that God had created this. This was something that didn't just happen by chance, right? That philosophical case. And then we talked about that scientific case, right? That there are things that we can now understand through technological advancement, through study, uh, at the cellular level, the microscopic level. And you see things there, DNA. You know, you've heard a lot about that with the virus and all this stuff lately, right? How intricate and how complex that is. We said, you know, most people would say, well, complex things have to come by simpler things, right? So as things progress, as things advance and become more complex, they had to come from something that was simple. Yet you can get down to that molecular level, that cellular level, and, say, and see how complex it is at that level. And so an evolutionist would say, well, we all came from one single cell in the primordial soup a billion years ago, right? Well, that's one single organism. It's pretty complex. And it suggests there was a design there not just random chance, right? We talked a lot about that. And then last week we talked about the historical case. And really what we were doing was we were showing an historical case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that he existed and that his prophecy, the prophecies that the prophets said in the Old Testament, the, the teaching of the apostles ring true. You can prove it. There's evidence of things. Not necessarily an archaeological or fossil record of it, which we don't have for 99.9% of people that have lived on the earth. But we can see that Jesus Christ existed. And, oh, we can also read in the Gospels where he said, God created the heavens and the earth, talking about going back to the beginning. He says that happened, that occurred. So we can see a historical evidence that the resurrection occurred, and there was a beginning, just as we read in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was there at the creation at the time when that happened. So we have a lot of different avenues we can approach, right? And, and defend the fact that there was a Creator, God, who created the heavens and the earth. You know, today scientists will tell you the universe is something like 14 billion years old, and the earth is like four and a half billion or something like that. And maybe they can have a good case for that from the fossil record or whatever they do. We talk a lot about how things have changed over time. 
it wasn't necessarily always the same. We had a flood, right? Things we don't know. We don't know necessarily what the earth was like before the flood. We have some hints to things where there was a mist going on, and we read, you can read that in Genesis. Before there was the flood, there was perhaps no rain, and things were done by the mist that God uh, supplied. And perhaps there was a canopy, you know, the heavens above the earth and below, and below uh, the waters above the heavens and below, waters below. So hints of things like that. We, we, we don't know. It could have been very different, right? So we can't say definitely by simply post-dating things that that's exactly the way it's always been. Well, <laughs> there are a lot of difficulties with uh, the theory of evolution. There's a lot of difficulties with creation when you think about it because we don't have a straightforward um, timeline with the way things work, right? We have the record in Genesis, but we don't necessarily know exactly how old the earth is, right? Uh, you, you can kind of do that by the genealogies if you want and say, well, okay, that's if you go by the genealogies themselves, you can kind of date it back to about 6,000 years old. But again, we don't know necessarily if time is all, as, as the, not time, but the earth has always been in that same situation. Things have always been the same, right? So some would say that they believe creationism and evolution, because of these difficulties, can be kind of meshed, right? Um, they can say that perhaps because of these difficulties, you can kind of put them together. And they'll use the words in Genesis to kind of say these things. And today, we're going to look at that a little bit. We're going to look at the days of creation and what that means. What are we talking about when we get into that? Well, first of all, you have the Hebrew word, Hebrew word yom, Y-O-M, okay? That's used in Genesis, all right? Meaning day. can also mean age can also mean a span of time and so forth. And we're going to look at some examples with that just to see what we're talking about. Turn, turn your Bibles to Genesis 1. Let's just read what we're saying here. <clears throat> turn to Genesis 1 and let's just read verse, uh, verse, starting verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light Yom or day. And the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first yom. So you have an instance here that we're talking about a period of light. That's what God is calling that yom, that day. If you will, turn over to uh, 1 Kings and let's read something there. And I'm going to be jumping around here, so if you want to follow me, I'll try to go slow, uh, but I'm going to read it too, so if you'd rather just listen. 1 Kings 19, let's just read something there. <clears throat> let's start with verse 1, 1 Kings 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he rose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for now, for I am no better than any others, or any, no better than my father's. So we have a period of time here mentioned, a yom's journey. He's saying a day's journey 
which we would think that's a 24-hour period, but is that truly what he's saying there? Another example, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 16. And let's look at there, something there, all right? 16, verse, uh, let's look at verse 8. Actually, verse 7. And you shall roast and eat it in the place where the Lord your God chooses, and in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. Here we have another period of a 24-hour day. Yom, the word used here. Okay? What else can it mean? Turn back to Genesis, and let's go to chapter 26. 26 and verse 8. Actually, start at verse 6. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She's my sister. For he was afraid to say she is my wife because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through the window and saw it, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Wait a minute. And we're back there and start at verse 8 again. Now it came to pass when he had been there a yom that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through the window. Yom is used here. Not to mean a day, but a period of a long time. Okay? So you have a span of time where this reference is made. Turn over to Numbers chapter 20. And let's read uh, <clears throat> verse 14. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother, Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us. How our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. Go back and read that again. How our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dealt in Egypt a yom, would have been the word used there. But that's considered a long time. He dwelt there many, many years. So we have a span of time. How about this? Turn over to uh, Genesis chapter 2. Let's look at another example of the word. Genesis chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep him. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day, or in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Or... For in the yom that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, he's not referring to a specific day. He's saying at some point in the future, at some day in the future, when you do this, this is what's going to happen, a given point of time. Now, turn over to Leviticus chapter 25. Let's read a verse from there. And let's begin in verse uh, 25. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother said, or what that brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let, let him count the years since its sale, and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession." 
But if he's not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his possession. If a man sells a house in a walled city, then he may redeem it within a whole year after it is sold. Within a full year he may redeem it. The word yom is being used there for year. So you have a reference not only to a day, the same word, you have a reference to a span of time, you have a reference to a point in time, and you have a reference to a year. So the word yom could be used in several different contexts, right? Several different ways. We have words today we use in different ways, right? Depends on the context that you're using that word to understand what exactly you mean, right? Well, yom is the same way. There is another kind of version of the word, yamim, which would probably more mean a day or a 24-hour day. But yam is used in these examples in Genesis. All right. Genesis 1, we see that daylight hours from sunrise to sunset are being referenced, right? The day. Uh, then evening and morning, it was the first day. We're at 114, we see a literal 24-hour cycle. In fact, let's go over there and just read that again. Genesis 1, verse 14. <clears throat> then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God also set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Here we have the references to what is a day and what is night. In the beginning, the earth was formless and void. And then he said, let there be light. So in essence, he's creating this day, the 24-hour period as we see it. Right? We have a day 24 hours from the earth, one, one revolution of the earth on its axis, right? We have day because of the sun. It's light. We have darkness because we turn, the earth gets turned away from the sun, right? We know that today. God created these things in the heavens. So we have these references to light. We have these references to day. We have these references to a span of time. We have these references to a year, all coming from the same word. And because this can be diverse in meaning, there are probably at least four views as to the days of creation, okay? I'm going to talk about those a little bit. Not going to get into so much the, the case for the literal six days. I'll talk about that a little bit. We're going to do that in two weeks when we come back, all right? We're going to get really deep into the case for a literal six days of creation. But today we're going to talk about Yom, and help you understand where you might see these different views coming from. Of course, first, we have the literal days of creation, that view. Genesis 1, 3 through 2, 2, that view says that these were actually six literal days, and God rested on the seventh day. All right? God created all things, heavens and earth, in six days, six 24-hour days, and the earth is just a few thousand years old rather than billions of years old. There are many that would uh, be proponents of this view. Um, I would. But there are others that you can read about in your outline there. And this is the most literal view of the Genesis account. Okay, This is the view that I would say most in Christendom for the history of Christianity 
believe because that's what they read, right? And it's not till more recent times, the last couple of hundred years, that people have tried to take different views, partly because of evolution and having to defend creationism as opposed to that theory of evolution. One is what we would call gap creationism. And if you go back to Genesis 1, and we'll just look at it again, let's, let's read verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right? Plain and simple, right? Verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Interesting, right? He created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. What, what does that mean? All right? What does that give you a picture of? To me, it just makes me think of this ball, just a blank ball, right? I guess there was waters there because it says he was hovering over the, the, the deep, the face of the deep, right? So there, there's this formless ball that needs to be shaped, right? It needs to have something done with it. So you kind of think of like a, I don't know, like a ball of clay or silly putty or something, you know? You've got you to you do something with it. And that kind of leads to this, what that's called a gap theory. Some would say that there was a gap of time, an age, a period of time between the first and third verses there that occurred before man was created. Okay? There was some kind of pre-Adamic world which experienced some kind of cataclysmic judgment. All right? And this is a... This is a view that at one time was very popular, but not so much today. And it's kind of, uh, it's kind of hard to reconcile it, really, with a false record. I'll explain in a second. But what they would have said was, what they say is, that there was a period of time when there was animals that roamed the earth. There was visitation that roamed the earth many, many years before man was actually created. Okay? That, at some point, there was some kind of judgment that occurred, and you can also... Re, you know, the, 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 the references to Satan falling out of heaven, being judged, causing things to occur, and there was a cataclysmic judgment causing all the things that existed at that time to be destroyed. And that's why you might read in verse 2 that the earth was formless and void. It, was, it, was been, it had been destroyed. God had made a judgment and caused everything that was on the earth at that time to be destroyed. All right? That's a view. And then he begins the new creation. You might say the second creation. The time where he creates the heavens and the earth as to our, the way they are today. And then you would have a literal six days of creation there. But it would have been after that pre-Adamic world. That gap between when he did the first creation and the second. This view has been held by many. And as I said, it's something that was, something that was viewed you know, 100 years ago, several years ago, not so much today. It's, and I think that's pretty much because of the fossil record. They'll say that it doesn't jive with that. It doesn't mesh with the idea that that could have been going on. Anyways, this view attempts to reconcile the apparent age of the earth, the literal days of creation, to put them together, right? So you could say, well, there were billions of years that occurred before Adam was created. And then God created Adam and Eve and all the things that we see now in six literal days. And that would mesh with the fossil record, the things that they could see that were older than 6,000 years, right? Trying to mesh that evolutionary, um, you might say, post-dating 
idea together. All right. Now, you, today, there's another, there's another theory that we would call progressive creationism. You can see that on your outline. And let's turn over to Genesis 2 and read a few verses that kind of we can begin to see what this is talking about. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to fill the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Okay. It's interesting how he says how things were occurring then, right? And, and we can glean some things from that, but it, it makes it look like a little bit there that things were going on before he created man. And, of course, if you read the six days, yeah, the, each day he created things before he created man. Man was created on the sixth day. But a progressive creationist would say, well, each day, by the word yom, can be referred to as a long period of time, not necessarily a 24-hour period. Therefore, perhaps God created these things these on these days or ages over a long period of time. And so you would see that vegetation, animals, all these things would have been created over a long span of time, and then he got to the point of the sixth day, creating man. All right. <laughs> kind of difficult to understand this. I want to see if I can explain it a little better. In, in creationist evolutionist theory, um, there's this scientific idea of concordism, concordism. Or they call themselves concordists. They want to have, which is basically meaning a state of harmony, right? They want to harmonize Scripture, the record of creation, along with what we see in nature, or what the fossil record shows, or what things like that can prove. And so they're trying to mesh that together, make it in harmony, right? And so and we're talking basically about geology and astronomy, both, both reliable sources of knowledge, of course. We can glean a lot from geology and astronomy, right? But meshing those together to kind of help us understand the origin of the universe and the origin of the Earth. This gap theory, or much you might have heard it called the day-age theory, basically says that uh, this is, the Hebrews use this word, yom, to show that it was ages. And somebody would say, yom means literally here that it's an age, it's not a day. That's why they use the word. Instead of perhaps yamim or yamam, a plural version of it, they use that word. So they would say, I'm uh, describing this literally as the Hebrews wanted you to see it. All right? In that theory, they're saying there's major kinds of plants and animals were created separately over the eons of the earth. Fossil record would show reliably which came earlier and thus things were created progressively that's the progressive theory progressively the plants and vegetation were created over a long period of time progressively the animals were created over a long period of time right and they wouldn't necessarily believe that these things became in because of the flood now a literal day 
creationists, and I'll get into this more in a couple of weeks, would say that most of our fossil record is there because of the flood. The flood laid things out, the sediment. You see all the levels. You go to the Grand Canyon, you see the different levels of sediment that's been laid down on the walls of the canyon, and I've been there. It's pretty impressive to see that. But that became because of the flood. That would have caused all these things to be laid down. You would have the animals all killed off at the time. Uh, if you've ever been to any of the Apologetics Press stuff on this, you can, they have examples of things, pictures, drawings that you can see where it shows dinosaurs and a man. And they can be dated to the same time. But a, uh, a, gap, a, a, a progressive scientist would say that didn't occur. That the, all these animals, that the, the dinosaurs and so forth, would not have been in existence at the same time as man. That would have been before that going on. So you have this theory that things progressively occurred. And they try to explain away things that are a little bit difficult to understand. Let's turn over to Genesis 4, and I want you to see what I'm talking about. Genesis 4, and uh, let's see. I'm going to go back to when Cain kills Abel. Y'all all know about that, right? I'm just going to read it again. <coughs> So the Lord said to Cain, let's, let's just go back to verse 1. We'll start there. Four, chapter 4, verse 1. Well, actually, that's too far. That's Adam and Eve talking. When they, let's see. Let's go to verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries, cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Notice what he's saying there. Something changed. Remember that. We'll talk about that too. He now had to till the ground of the earth. Didn't have to do that in the garden, apparently. God took care of that. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. So here we have Cain complaining because he's got to work for a living. So something changed. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So he had to till the earth. Abel had to do that now, but now he's being cast out because he murdered his brother. Verse 16, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And then you can go into Enoch was born, Arad and Arad, and you go on through the genealogy there. Now, think about that for a second. Here we know Cain is being cast out as a vagabond, right? Of course, he's, he's already been, they were, Adam and Eve were being cast out of Eden. And he's having to leave his family. And he goes into this land of Nod. Well, where, what is, where, where was this land of Nod? Where did it come from, right? That's kind of difficult. Have you ever wondered about that? How, how does that exist? And of course, we don't know how many years later this is, and we know they lived hundreds of years, right? And then he builds a city. 
Well, did Cain just build a city for himself and his family? Or why would you build a city if there weren't a lot of other people around maybe, right? You know, those questions come up. And so because of that, that's kind of where some of this progressive creationist theory comes from. They're trying to explain some of these things that we can't, well, we don't, they're a little bit ambiguous, right? We'll just say that. There's some decisions. Now, that doesn't mean it couldn't have happened, right? As I said, we don't necessarily know how old Cain was here. We don't know. It could have been hundred years. We, don't, we know that God said, be fruitful and multiply. And we know that Cain, that Cain knew his wife, as Adam had known his wife, right? And so these things are going on. There's children being born. Uh, men are living hundreds of years. So there could have been a lot of folks by now that came from Adam and Eve. I guess it would all be brothers and sisters or I don't know if you call them cousins or whatever, but they were there. So we can say, well, this doesn't necessarily mean that uh, there couldn't have been a lot of people around. But that's where these creationists will try to say, well, that's because of progressive creation, things that mattered like this. Now, I'm, I'm, I know you're probably saying, well, what in the world are you talking about? And I know it's hard to explain some of these things, but that's what causes some of these theories to come about. And then the last one would be a literary framework theory. And that's a theory that says, Basically, Genesis 1 and 2 is not a literal or scientific description of the origin of the universe. That rather, it's an ancient religious text which outlines a theology of creation. Okay? Uh, in other words, they're not meaning to be chronological. It's not, it's not meant to be a chronological record, but a literary or symbolic structure designed to reinforce that God was the creator. And... and, and then we also see the Sabbath commandment coming from that seventh day, right, where he rested. And so, the, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, we know would come from that. So, there are many that would view this. Catholic Church is one that's kind of put this forward over the years. They would say that the Genesis account is pretty much just symbolic and figurative, not literal. Each of these views has been held by people who believe the Bible is inspired word of God believe that God is the creator of all things. So we're not necessarily seeing anything here that you might say, well, that means if you believe that, you're going to hell. All right? We're just trying to explain it. I would differ my views from these. I, I believe that it was a literal six days. And I think we can use that in our defense of our faith, right? Especially if someone doesn't believe in God. Right? We can say, well, we understand all these different views, <clears throat> but here's mine. And that's, gonna, that's what we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. Some have been persuaded to participate, to view a different particular view by what they believe uh, according to the scientific evidence and the natural evidence as opposed to the scriptural evidence. But you have to be careful with anything you're studying, right? You've got to be careful. When you start looking at things, if you're going to say something is true, you may have to make sure that it's factual and you have evidence of it. Okay? Our biblical record says it was done in six days. Whether you want to believe that's an age or a literal 24-hour day, well, that's up to you, but we're going to look at that in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to try to make the case to you that I believe it's a 24-hour day, and I think you'll be able to see it. It will make sense, right? But we wanted today to kind of show you the different views that you see. 
you'll probably hear that from if you hear somebody talking about creation. And it's good that those people believe that God created the heavens and earth, right? That's a good thing. Especially when you're dealing with evolutionist theory that we came from a one-celled organism. All right, that's good. But there are different views. And we just need to make sure that we have our ducks in a row when we're talking to people about that. Okay. I'm one minute over by my watch, so time is up. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks.